Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey. Hey, Scott. Just stepping off the transporter here. Good morning, everyone. Kevin L. Jackson and Scott Luton with you here presenting Digital Transformers on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. On today's show, we are gaining some key takeaways and insight from one of the biggest, of most revered business leadership events of the year. IBM Think 2021. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. It's sunny down there in Atlanta. It, it is sunny, not quite as hot as, as your neck of the woods, thankfully, because <laughs> it's coming. Uh, but really excited about this live stream and, of course, all the key practical takeaways we're going to hear as we're featuring an executive uh, leader from the IBM team, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so key takeaways, lessons learned, eureka moments. You know, we're big about eureka moments around these parts. There's so many. We have them daily these days, right? Mm. So we're going to learn a lot more moving about so fast. It is. It is. And, and of course, if you're going to move fast, you got to move fast successfully. And we're going to hear a lot about that here today. But Kevin, mm. quick programming note. We're talking pre-show about the pandemic. And we're trying to get the entire world into the post-pandemic environment. And we want to encourage our listeners and folks out in our community uh, to support our efforts to get much-needed supplies and equipment to our friends in India. So you can check out the nonprofit where every dollar is going to the good fight at vipi.org or shoot a note over to India at VectorGL.com and we'll make sure that we get you involved in the fight. A lot, a lot of, I'll tell you, um, we want to get the whole world, right, right. into this post-pandemic. It's not, it's not one country in this country and that country. But it's, it's truly a global fight. Yeah, they say uh, you see this commercial now on TV. If we're all not vaccinated, no one is safe. So it's work at all. Excellent point. Excellent point. Uh, one other quick program note before we bring in our, our wonderful guest here today. If you like our live streams, we go live usually every Monday and Thursday at 12 noon. Be sure to check out Digital Transformers on Supply Chain Now, wherever you get podcasts from. You can find Kevin's really neat and always informative perspective just about. It feels like every week, but it's, it's at least every month, right, Kevin? Hey, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm trying to keep the pulse on the world, right? It's uh, keep running around this internet. <laughs> well, I tell you, along those lines, we're going to be talking about the internet. We're going to be talking about edge computing. We're going to be talking about, of course, IoT, AI you name it, from folks that are making it happen. So let's say hello to a few folks, and then we're going to bring in our guest. Kevin Muzi is tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to have you here today. Looking forward to your POV. As yeah, we're, where um, are you? I wonder where you're from, Muzi. Yeah, tell us where you're, you're, you're tuned in listening to today's conversation. And, of course, Clay and the whole gang is behind the scenes making it happen here today. Clay, Clay is um, the, the big dog, as his nickname is here, helping us produce today's live stream. And, Kevin, do we have a live stream these days without the one and only Peter Bolay? All hey, night and all Peter. day from Canada. <laughs> so Peter, <laughs> he doesn't miss anything either. He picked up on my comment where I, I, I shared with the world that Clay is a scratch golfer. 
So uh, we'll see if we can't get Peter and Clay uh, signed up for a, a a golf match. See who brings home the trophy. I only do best ball. I'm someone who can do better ball than me. <laughs> Kevin, I knew there were some kindred spirits and, and, and bonds that tied us together. I'm the same way. I love best ball. It's a lot easier at golf. Akram is asking about the, the nonprofit. Yeah, check out vbuy.org. They're doing a lot of great work getting much needed supplies, respirators, you name it, to India. So check that out directly. Amanda, of course, I mentioned is with us, and she's excited about today's conversation as well. Clarence I'm getting Black. hungry. Somebody's from Philadelphia. I need that <laughs> the Philly state. Which one do you prefer? <laughs> aren't there two competing ones Philly cheesesteak as long as it has cheese and steak on it I'm good <laughs> <laughs> awesome Clarence is tuned in from Colorado Springs Colorado Peterson Air Force Base uh, he's, where he's a supply manager how about that Kevin yeah I mean I've been out there to Peterson a couple of times well we are so glad to have you tuned in with us Clarence looking forward to your POV Muzi, uh, hey Muzi, tell us where you're from. Uh, we'd love to know where you're tuned in. Looking forward to your your POV here today. Okay, well, Kevin, you ready to bring in our guests here today? Oh, I've been sitting on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time to jump into the conversation, and and really, we're going to learn a ton of goodness from Dr. Everestus Mainsa, General Manager, IBM Hybrid Cloud and Edge Ecosystem. Everestus, how are you doing this afternoon? Hey, Scott, how are you? I'm delighted to be here. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. This is, this is an honor. It sure I, is. The, the pleasure is entirely mine, Kevin. Thank you so much. Well, Everestus, we had so much fun in the pre-show, you know, learning from you and, and, and getting to know you a little better. We should have recorded all that. But, hey, we got plenty of time now uh, that you're with us here today. Uh, we won. That's right. We run. <laughs> I do want to acknowledge a couple of recent additions. So Jeffrey, great to have you here with us from Bogota via LinkedIn. Of course, Jeff's been on the show with us before. Hope this finds you well. And Asim is tuned in via LinkedIn. Asim, we'd love to know where you're tuned in from and, and welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay. So Dr. Mainza, we want to get to know you a little better. So tell us a little about yourself and tell us about your role at IBM. Okay, again, thank you so much, both you, you and, uh, and Kevin, for inviting me. So I'm Everistus Mainsa. I am the general manager of IBM's hybrid cloud and edge ecosystem. So in that role, I work with our ecosystem partners to enable them on our hybrid cloud with AI platform and then help them build practices and solutions so they can use our technology in the service of their customers. Wow, that's uh, very powerful. But you, you, you talk about, I guess, cloud pack and edge ecosystems and in the cloud. What, what does that really mean? I mean, these, these words sound important. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, let me, let me take a step back and put that into a bit of perspective. Uh -huh. So our acquisition of Red Hat a couple of years ago really underlined our intention to become a platform company. Right, based around Red Hat, based around Red Hat OpenShift. So now we're really, our focus is hybrid cloud with AI, and we have products that help clients basically navigate a hybrid cloud universe, which is where a lot of our customers live, right? Some workload is on-prem, some workload is in private cloud, some is in multiple public clouds. And Red Hat OpenShift container platform really is the glue that makes all of that work. So it's an enterprise grade, it's a secure Kubernetes platform that allows our customers to deploy, to run, to manage all of their containerized workload 
wherever the customers want to run them. Not where they happen to be, but wherever they happen to, they, they want to run them. But I know, Kevin, your question was really about cloud packs, right? <laughs> so that cloud packs really represent sort of IBM and open source containerized cloud native software that is built on Red Hat OpenShift and therefore it will run anywhere. Wow. So, so if, it, if you think about what our clients are trying to do, typically want to do sort of four things, right? They want to mo modernize or secure their environment. That's two. They want to use data to predict or to automate the, whether they're talking about work, whether they're talking about IT, whether they're talking about processes. And basically, these cloud packs allow them to do that, right? So if you're looking to do AI, then you've got a cloud pack for data that allows you to, uh, to collect, organize, to analyze the data. All the difficult work of actually improving outcomes in AI gets done in the cloud pack for data. And then you've got other AI that sits on top of that. You've got the cloud pack for security that allows you to secure your hybrid cloud environment. It works with IBM, it works with open source, it works with, with third-party offerings. Mm. It's got offerings that you know and love, like Curator and Verifiance and Guardian, right? And we have cloud packs for multi-cloud management that are sort of part of our IBM automation. We right. can talk about that later. So it's a broad range, and this is what they do. So they really target specific use cases. A lot of them focus on helping our customers deal with what they do with modernization of their environment, what they do with the security of their environment, what they do to predict what's going to happen within their environment, and what they do overall to automate their environment. Mm. Hey, Kevin, if I could interject yeah. for a second. I know we're going to uh, get some of Dr. Mainz's key takeaways from, from Think uh, 2021. But I think it'd be helpful maybe if we take a step further back, uh, Dr. Mainza, and really understand you know, what your journey and your experience and your POV, what, what led you to IBM? Uh, thank you for that question, Scott. So I, um, I was born in Cameroon. You might, wondering, you might be wondering where I've got this accent from, which is a bit of a United Nations. So I was born in Cameroon, <laughs> and uh, I got a government scholarship as a teenager to study at the University of Birmingham in the UK. And I remember showing up in the fall a little bit late for classes because of all the visa processes. And I studied computer science and electronic engineering. And then I did a master's degree in manufacturing engineering, and I did a PhD in, in, in metrology, which is really the science of measurement. There's about 600 people that, you know, this is all they live and dream in the world. I used to be wow. one of them. So I know it's a lot of fun, but not, not all of us think that. And then after that, uh, and then I spent a short time as an academic, as a research fellow and a research lecturer, and a lecturer at the University of Birmingham, research fellow at the University of Birmingham, and a lecturer at the University of Coventry. And then I wrote to IBM, you know, 23 years ago to say I would like to come work for them, right? Apparently, uh, it was okay to simply write a letter to a large company <laughs> telling them that you wanted to work for them. So I joined uh, thinking, of course, that this is, nev this is never going to last. Mm. And 23 years hence, I'm, I'm still here. And I have to say that I absolutely took the scenic route as I meandered through several of the most fun parts of the company. So I started in our Hursley Labs in the UK as a developer. Then I transitioned into sales, where I discovered a brand new world of more fun than you could eat. Uh, <laughs> I then bet you through were going out in 1100 Westchester, weren't you? <laughs> well, so this is then <laughs> even, more, even more fun than that. And then I transitioned through finance uh, to, to an MBA back into IBM, and I did fun jobs like assistant treasurer, 
general auditor of IBM. Uh, then I run a big part of our leasing business. IBM has a captive leasing business called IBM Global Financing for about 10 years before I was captured and brought back into <laughs> technology after 10 years on the run, right? And so I ended up in the hybrid cloud unit, basically working to bring ecosystem partners to our platform. So in a sense, I've gone full circle, mm. but it's a circle where every spot sort of represents increased gratification. So I've been I've been very lucky on the journey. Unbelievable! Your your just your education. Uh, I could I could barely work my way through one computer science class, and and Dr. Main said so you I mean to hear. Your, your formal education prior to 23 years, I think, with IBM, I think if I got that right. So, Kevin, he's the pro to know, and we're going to be learning Absolutely. from someone that's been there and done it. Hey, really quick, though, Kevin, before we move forward, we got our answer on a couple things. So, Asim is tuned in from Berlin, so welcome uh, via LinkedIn. Uh, we've got Mary tuned in from Kenya. Welcome, Mary. Get ready. Uh, buckle up for a great conversation. Uh, Hyder is from Sudan. Great to have you here. And Muzi answered our question. He is from South Africa. So great to have you here as well, Muzi. Okay. Right. So, Kevin, where are we going next? Well, one of the things, I mean, you talk about Dr. Mensah's um, education and all the components that went into his big brain right there to understand how to develop these solutions on, on top of cloud. And when he was talking about cloud pack, what came to mind was these were different components that a partner could actually look at and select and, and put together. But I, I, I guess some of our audience, and I've been asked this, I mean, are these cloud packs, are they themselves IBM Cloud? Are they in IBM Cloud? Are they outside of IBM Cloud? I mean, how was this uh, described at Think 21? And, and, you know, how would you describe it? So I would say, so that's a great, great question. Now, the beauty of these cloud packs are, they're, again, they're built on products that you know and love. So if you're talking mm -hmm. about security, I talked about some of them, right? So Curator, Guardian, Verify, they're all part of the cloud pack for security. Right, and then CloudPack for Data. I talked about what it did earlier on. You've got other products that you know, such as uh, the the CloudPack for integration that allows you to connect. And, and when you're thinking about your modernizing, say, a mainframe, you need to be able to access information in there through APIs. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the CloudPack for integration is brilliant. Brilliant at doing that. Now, these cloud packs again, think of them as there's an underlying layer that is Red Hat OpenShift. Oh, okay. Uh, that gives it wheels. Right, because you can take those wheels and you can run them in any cloud that you want. You can run them on-prem, you can run them in your private cloud, you can run them in anyone's, any other person's public cloud, which is why it's, they're proving really so interesting and attractive for customers that want the opportunity to be able to take their workload and to take their innovation where they have the opportunity rather than saying I'm completely locked into the cloud because I made the decision three years ago, you've got some new innovation that comes up in another cloud and you feel as if you don't have access to, the cloud packs allow you to run them and you can run them. You can run them in the IBM public cloud, you can run them in Azure, you can run them on Google Cloud Platform, you can run them on, you know, on AWS. Well, I mean, that's, that's an important point. I mean, vendor lock-in is one of the biggest dangers of cloud computing. And I've always seen IBM as a, a system integrator, a provider of end-to-end -end solutions. And this, this IBM, the cloud pack seems to be 
the new instantiation of that end-to-end approach. Is is that an important takeaway from thinking? It's, it's an important takeaway because this is also an enabler for our ecosystem partners. So if we, we talk about the 75% of workload that is yet to move to the cloud, some of that workload is written in Java, some of it is written in even in a variety of different languages. They run on a number of different systems. Mm-hmm. And our clients are thinking, well, how do I get this workload out into the new world? And you know, you can go from a monolithic application into a microservices-based application that enable you to automate, to be more agile, so you can change things much more quickly. But you can do that without necessarily making a decision about which public cloud you're going to live in. And so you run that as a microservice on-prem in your data center, or you can run that in the current public cloud that you're using. And if by necessity, you need another public cloud and we see customers with more than five clouds, you know, pretty much wow. as an average, you can run those workloads in there. So our ecosystem partners really value them because it makes it easier for them to modernize the environments in which they are. It makes them easier to take advantage of the large amount of data that they have. It makes it easier to secure their environments, working with what's there and what's to come. And it makes it easier for them to carry out all sorts of automation. And again, the, what we learned through COVID is just the importance of of automation. In fact, IBM has a unit called IBM Automation that is dedicated to basically helping clients deal with automation and therefore these cloud packs support that. Whether you're talking about automation of workload, of of processes, you're talking about automation of IT, you're talking about AI ops, or indeed whether you're talking about network automation when you're dealing with that telco customers. Mm. Well, this seems, I'm sorry, but this seems to be all about the integration of APIs and microservices. Is, is this what you know, your ecosystem partners bring? Or is this the core of the innovation that, that drives all these solutions? So what we do, so these, these, these four areas that I talked about, you know, modernization, prediction, automation, and security cover the range of different types of use cases that our customers want. And the IBM software, which is all being containerized, all lives and works on Red Hat OpenShift, together with the cloud packs that I talk about, mm-hmm. provide the sort of the platform. I say the platform is Red Hat OpenShift, but they sit right on top of the Red Hat OpenShift, allowing you to take full advantage of Red Hat OpenShift to build and write your applications that will then run in any environment. And therefore, our ecosystem partners are able to rely on that to provide services to their customers. All right. Sorry, Scott, you were going to say something? I, I, so I like that modernize, secure, predict, automate. I think that really breaks it down. Uh, that's what leadership's after. And, and clearly that's what it, what IBM is helping to power. And then, and then I was going to share a couple of things here from uh, our community. Peter says, listen up. This is how IT needs to be sold with a smile and excitement. It keeps one glued to the learning. How about that? <laughs> Thank uh, you, Peter. The check's in the purse. <laughs> <laughs> David, David agrees. David, hope this finds you well. Great to see you here today. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Asim is also uh, digging the information being shared. And, of course, Charles Walker, the one and only Charles Walker is with us. Good stuff. So great to have you here uh, with us, Charles, Asim, and, and uh, David. Okay. So, Kevin, where are we going next? Well, actually, I want to know exactly that. So, Dr. Mainshaw, what is the future of this cloud ecosystem and, and your partners? Uh, where, where are we going? Well, I, I think as we, we talked about this earlier on about 
what the pandemic has done is to significantly speed up the need for digital transformation. Customers, we talk to customers, we talk to partners that were wondering whether they should do projects, whether the business case was strong enough. Uh, the questions that are being asked now is whether you can afford not to do it, right? And therefore, the digital transformation is, is really important for our customers right now. If you, we, you look at customers, the ability to change agility is so important. These cloud packs and the IBM software, which runs on Red Hat, enables that. We're also seeing increasingly that our customers recognize. So a few years ago, there was a view that because cloud itself is such a big endeavor for a customer to go pick, that you know, why would you pick more than one? That mm -hmm. you just think about the management effort associated with doing all of that. And we always knew this because we know that our clients live in heterogeneous environments. It's, it's the hardware, it's the services, it's all the technology that they have. They're wholly heterogeneous. And with edge becoming more important, that's also, in fact, added another level of complexity because of the heterogeneity that is inherent in the equipment that people have out, whether you're talking about the shop floor or you're talking about your retail environment. All this says that the hybrid imperative gets more important and the need to reduce time to value has never been more acute. And therefore, you know, focusing on this hybrid cloud with AI platform that accelerates time to value, that improves agility for our customers and helps ecosystem partners learn the same set of skill set and then deploy it in a range of different applications for a range of different partners is important. So you're going to see us, you know, Kevin, really continue to focus on, on improving already brilliant products that we have that I talked about, many of my household names, the sort of really high in the in the magic quadrant. Right. Focusing on, on, on improving those and making sure that our ecosystem partners and our clients don't have to worry about that. And also that if our clients has chosen a, a specific public cloud, right. that they don't have to have regrets. Right? They had probably good reasons why they chose them. They may have been the best for their needs at the time, but if tomorrow they're no longer the best for, the, for a need or they've got specific new needs that require a different cloud, that they can use the platform that we provide, which is horizontal, mm -hmm. to bring on that other and carry out the management facility, the management of all of that workload in those environments exactly the same way. So if you identify a good use case in one part of the geography and you then decide to deploy that in another part, you're not saying, oh, they're using a different paradigm, they're using a different cloud, it's another eight months worth of work. No, you can get this done in a matter of weeks because you've got this Red Hat OpenShift with the cloud packs that sit on top of that. Mm -hmm. So we see this drive to continue to help our clients to be more, uh, especially our partners, to, right. uh, to, to, to continue to work, in a, a, to work closely with these cloud packs to enable them to bring value to their customers much more quickly as a path that we're gonna be on for a long time. Wow, um, Scott, uh, Dr. Mainz uh, talked a lot about artificial intelligence. I know that's an area that you look into. Definitely, and, and you know, one of the things that uh, he's speaking to is it is, uh, sounds like he and the IBM team is allowing business leaders to focus on the business and not on all the technology stuff that's gotta, that's gotta work, it's gotta happen. And gosh, when you can apply that focus to, to, to the business itself and grow in the business, that's where you can get some of the biggest gains. So I love that element to what you're sharing, Dr. Mensa. Uh, by the way, Peter says he accepts e-transfers. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brilliant. I love that. And I, and I, I do want to ask about AI, but one other comment here from Mitchell. 
He says, we must, on a mainstream level, develop our youth with an IT mindset in order to overcome global competitors such as China. VM, cloud, blockchain, all a great step forward. What is the thought on the true usability of smart contracts, uh, considering it being basically code and, and not what the layman thinks of as a contract? And any thoughts there, Dr. Mensa? Yeah, you know, I'm not uh, a, a blockchain expert, right? But, but what I will say is that we're seeing some really important use cases coming up in, in blockchain, right? The example that we talked about was this work that we're doing, we did well, that with the state of New York, we're doing that with various other states to enable people to register their vaccination status on, for COVID-19, right? Mm. And because of that, so and again, because it's blockchain, you, you can be certain that the information you get is what it is because of the, the, the nature of the technology that allows you to, nothing goes in the blockchain un, until it's been confirmed that it is correct. Mm. And, um, and, 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 and you can do that without sharing your personal information. So if you went to an NBA game and you use your QR code, to, which is your oeuvre sesam, you can come in because it should, all it says is green or red, right? It's right. not providing any other information other than that. Mm. And, and, and that's a really powerful blockchain use case, which we did actually with Watson Health, right? Digital Health Pass with Watson Health at IBM developed, and we've been working with a lot of our ecosystem partners. We have some ecosystem partners that are actually going to take that technology. So not specific to these smart contracts, right. but just you know some blockchain applications that we see coming up, again, to deal with the supply chain issues that we have that are much more prominent now because of COVID-19. Excellent so points. One, and we're gonna one, one thing I want to bring up, it, it sort of came up be, before the show we were talking that you know, some people, many decision makers see blockchain, artificial intelligence, machine learning as, as different things. But in reality, they all layer on top of the cloud. And in this case, the IBM cloud with Red Hat. So while you, you may not call yourself an uh, expert in blockchain, you have to provide all of all of that uh, capability across all of these, I, I would call them applications that run on top of the cloud. How, how do you explain it to your customers? The word is Red Hat OpenShift. <laughs> right. So, yes, because the our blockchain also runs a Red Hat OpenShift. IBM blockchain platform runs a Red Hat OpenShift, which means we can run it in the IBM public cloud. And there are great reasons to run it in the IBM public cloud. But if you want to run it in any other cloud or you want to run it on-prem even, that's also possible, right? So, and that's why I, I keep going back to this message about optionality, right? So, you know, okay, vendor locking is, is the term that we use, but, but the reason that's such an issue is that it takes away from our customers important options that need to be open to them. What Red Hat OpenShift as your underlying platform does is it allows you to eat your cake and have it. You can run it where it needs to run right now because those decisions that you made were right for right now. But nobody knows what the right decisions need to be a few months from now, a few years from now. And every time we take a workload and we run it on Red Hat OpenShift, you're basically saying, I'm confirming the decision that I've made right now, but I leave open and I maintain the right to change my mind when it becomes necessary. 
because there's a better mouse trap that runs elsewhere, because there are new processes, because there are new legal requirements. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we see you know, these rules and regulations around privacy, they started in Europe, we've seen them in California, we've seen them in Brazil, we've seen them in various other countries around the world. They're not getting easier, they're getting more difficult. Right. And so there might be workload currently that is running in your preferred cloud for good measure, good reason, that all of a sudden with a stroke of a pen, the, a new bill is signed and you have to bring it back or you have to move it elsewhere. And right. therefore, again, you don't hear much talk about optionality, but I think it's really important as a business risk management tool, right? Oh. To say, even though my decisions are now, they may not be not the, the right ones in future, but I want to leave myself open to make the right decisions in future if I need to. Mm. Yeah, so, so Red Hat OpenShift sort of future-proofs your business within or across a hybrid and multi-cloud environment, but not just a hybrid cloud, but hybrid IT, where mm -hmm. you can leverage any cloud as well as managed services and even your own traditional data center. I think, mm -hmm. uh, is that? Spot on. Absolutely spot on, Kevin. <laughs> I, am, I am not going to try to improve perfection. <laughs> so, you know, Kevin, I love uh, options are always good. And I love mm -hmm. the flexibility that you're, you're talking about, Dr. Mensa. And anytime I have the option of getting my cake and eating it too, I do. <laughs> I, I do just that. Um, I'll, I'll share a couple of comments and I want to talk about more about the, how the these various technologies kind of come together and play a big part working together. It's not one or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, Akram says, for the third world countries where internet is slow, IBM Notes Workspace is a very good solution that is like cloud. So thanks for that uh, perspective there, Akram. And then Korai Kose, who's back with us here, says cloud on cloud good for the ones that can't decide <laughs> i love that uh mitchell appreciates uh your response to his question he posed earlier so thanks for thank being you here, Mitch. mitchell thank you mitchell. okay so i want to talk you know more of course all of us unless you, unless you've had been buried in the sand somewhere you know artificial intelligence ai machine learning iot you know, it's been around forever. How do you see all that playing together, kind of ex, 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 uh, extend on some of your earlier responses and then factoring in edge computing? What else would you add with these technologies as they come together to form a pretty powerful force? Yeah, so let me talk a little bit about uh, AI, right? So I think there's there's no question that we need to, that we're going to be doing more AI on a go forward basis, right? The, the, that if you think about digital transformation and automation, it's really about how you take AI and use it to make your workforce, to make the smartest, the most productive worker on your company, just like every other worker. So, so the, those ones that are not as productive, make them productive, right? And so our AI is always focused on making the worker the best that they could possibly be. And it's not one or the other, it's together. And if you look at the amount of investment that needs to go into AI, you know, for productivity purposes, to drive innovation, to drive automation, it says that you know our customers will increasingly be looking for these solutions, which is why we spent uh, such a large amount focused on driving uh, the IBM Cloud Pack for, uh, for 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 data, which itself, as I said, builds the information architecture that is designed to improve your AI options. Often people are saying, "Let me just go get do AI done," but actually, there's a lot of work that you need to do around the gathering, the collection, the organization, the governance around you around your data to make sure that you get the best, the best outcomes. 
And so our ecosystem partners see this platform as a platform that can really enable them solve you know, one of those two. So if you think about you know, digital transformation, you think about AI and hybrid, those are really important trends that our customers are seeing. And they look to us to provide, again, that platform to enable them to go drive these outcomes for their customers. And, and again, you're leveraging a, a variety of technologies. It's not either or, as you say, it, uh, which is so important. It's such a, you know, we see survey after survey. I just saw one earlier this week on Twitter. Which of these platforms, these technologies are going to make the biggest impact? That's, that's a fine question, but it's really what can be accomplished? What's the art of the possible when you, when you bring it all together and use it you know, in a very directed, uh, focused manner? That, Kevin, you're nodding your head. That's the opportunity, right? Right, absolutely. I, I saw one of these other uh, surveys of uh, senior executives, and it was like almost 80 or 90% of them said, yes, we need to have artificial intelligence in our business. But 65% of them, couldn't explain the fundamentals of artificial intelligence. They didn't really understand that. And the fact that in order to leverage or use artificial intelligence, you actually have to have data. I mean, clean data, good data, data governance. And if you don't manage your data properly, you can't have good artificial intelligence. Similarly, data underlies the applicability and usability of, of machine learning and, and IoT and, and edge computing. And, and where is that data? It's in the cloud. So if you don't have proper governance of your data in the cloud, you can't use any of these new capabilities. Do you run into that, Dr. Mainza? Indeed, and, 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 and also it's not even just the data in the cloud. It's also in, in the way some people do it. It's, um, you know, you have to move the data and create like a data lake in order to do the work. Mm -hmm. But having technology that allows you to process and manage that data where it is, which is one of the things that's really important to our cloud pack for data, becomes really important. A, you've got egress charges and ingress charges associated with moving data, even in cloud environments. And, and so, that, so that's one thing. The other is, and so we, we deal with and we work with the data, we gain access to the data and we work with the data in place. The, the other important thing on that is what type of data are you dealing with? Are you dealing with structured data only? Are you dealing with structured and unstructured? Mm -hmm. And then there are other things around AI that uh, are becoming really important, which is explainability, right? We hear lots of talk about bias in AI which basically means bias in the data, which basically means the past was biased because data is a representation of the past. Right. right. And, uh, but do you want to propagate the bias in the past into the future? And, and that's why, you know, we focus on our, what's an open scale, looking at the technology itself to make sure that it helps. All right? So it's all focused on how do you manage AI environments and explainability and some of the leadership positions that we've taken around the use of AI, right? They're really useful, good force for good, but very important that we focus on, on tech for good as well, which means providing a tool a, to, deal, to where you can make decisions based on small amounts of data, which again mm -hmm. is another advantage that we have with our, with our products, small amounts of data to, to, to make good decisions. And secondly, the explainability of that, right? So that you can, at least if you identify, and again, a credit to the, the many of the companies, 
people say, hey, look, your AI did these terrible things. Well, no, the AI actually made the same decisions that you usually made in the past because it's spacing this on data. That's yeah. what you've done in the past. <laughs> right, right. So what it is doing, though, it's shining a nice light on it so we can all see, and then we can do things differently and we can be better in the future. That's why this area of explainability in AI is something that we focused on. Yeah, one thing you, you mentioned briefly was Watson, and you talked about the difference between structured data and unstructured data. And this optionality sort of comes into play as well. I mean, today, 80 to 90% of all the data that's created is unstructured data. But businesses today and in the past are built on structured data. So you have to use both. And Watson is, a, I think, a perfect example of how the, the value of leveraging both structured and unstructured data in order to deliver value. Uh, once again, that, that optionality that's, that's given. Indeed. So, and think 2021, let's sort of go back to that because um, I heard that you did a service session there that was quite a hit. Uh, what, what, what's your number one takeaway? Can you tell us more about that, that service session that you did? Yes, thank you very much uh, for that. So the, the, the service session was really focused on giving examples of some of the things that we're doing with our service partners. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, my friend Kalyan Kumar, who is the Chief Technology Officer of uh, HCL with me, mm -hmm. basically uh, talking about the journey that we've been through over the last few years as we work. They're building a number of practices based on IBM technology, uh, whether it's hybrid cloud, doing lots of work with them on um, on the telco cloud, which which they're, they're adopting. And, 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 and KK has been a, a great sponsor. So we're talking about the journey they've been through with IBM, some of the support that we've provided. I said, my team you know, helps our partners build practices and solutions on our technology so they can use that to deploy either as a managed service or they can as a solution that they present to the customer. And he was talking about some of the recent uh, customers uh, that, that, that we've worked with and, uh, and, and that we continue to work with. And also talked about the Cloud Engagement Fund. So the, again, focus on the ecosystem uh, is such that we announced that we're investing a billion dollars in the ecosystem over a three-year wow. period to go drive really investment with our ecosystem partners. A lot of that, that goes into enablement and you know helping with them with uh, you know pilots and proof of concepts and you know funding to support modernization, funding to support replatforming where they're moving it onto Red Hat OpenShift, for example. And he was talking about ways in which you've been able to use that cloud engagement fund to really drive positive outcomes for him, uh, for, for them as a company, and also for their customers. Wow, you've given so much in this 2021. I mean, uh, do you have anything left for 2022? <laughs> we, <laughs> what can we look forward to? No, we, we, we have plenty. As I said, you know, 75% of workload is yet to move. It's on-prem, ah. it is complex and difficult. A lot of this is in highly regulated industries like mm -hmm. telco, talked about telco. We released a cloud for telecommunications recently with more than 40 ecosystem partners and we're working with them to bring them into the cloud. Uh, a lot of that workload is also is in financial services. We released the cloud for financial services. Uh, and, and in fact, we had a new drop uh, at the end of uh, March. 
which is really uh, is an incredible uh, a, a cloud. And what it does really is it's got you know 400 or so different financial controls built into it, based upon. And again, we have we have a promontory assets. That's all about risk governance and compliance. We build these controls based upon what banks need. And so and we're working with a number of different banks on it. We're working at a lot of different ecosystem partners. And so if you, if you look at this from a banking position, obviously they're subject to enormous regulation, right? Nobody wants to, to get a phone call from the office of the controller of the currency because you right. breach some control. And so they, uh, the, they're looking at all of this technology. A lot of it is coming from fintech, small ISVs that they would like to consume because their customers would like it but they're worried about the difficulty of bringing them onto the platform. So typically it could take you nine months, a year, once they've decided they want your platform to actually get this to become a fully paid up first class resident of your cloud environment, of your private cloud or of your data center. Right. And so with the IBM Cloud for Financial Services, we've got all these controls built into it. We can bring the, these ecosystem partners, these fintechs into that cloud environment we work with the with the banks. The banks recognize the uh, the work that we've done. They say, okay, this is just like my data center. It's got all the controls that I built. If you've got them certified in the IBM Cloud of Financial Services, I'm pretty okay with that, but I'm not going to just take your word for it. And maybe I'm going to take another two months or three months or even four months, right, to do extra checks and then I've consumed them. But from the bank's perspective, they've just cut down the time to consumption from a year to four months to three months. And the other thing is that it sort of protected them from third and fourth party risk, which is all the issues that they worry about when they bring fintechs. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at it from the point of view of the fintech, they knew that this process used to take a year. And if you do a year, let's say you do that with JP Morgan, you, you think you'd show up to Citibank and Citibank would say, that's great, I see you already done this at JP Morgan, just walk right in, no, right? Uh, <laughs> They're gonna go right, through their right, own right. process. So right. that's another year. And if you decide you want to go to Barclays Bank, that's another year. Right? So, but again, if they go through the work and we take them, do the work to get them onboarded onto the cloud, onto the cloud for financial services, then once they're in, again, it's this four month lag, right? So it's no longer a year. If it's four months, four months. So you right. cut down 12, month, 12 months to four times the number of banks that you'd like to consume. So it becomes a really strong value proposition both ways for both the banking clients who would like this technology as well as the independent software vendors who would like to get their wares onto the banks. Well, you, you, you bring up a, a very important point when it comes to cloud computing. Some cloud service providers um, highlight the importance of having a, a general cloud platform, while others are looking more towards industry vertical type of, of cloud platforms. How do you come down on, on that discussion? Should a company look at a general purpose cloud or should it look more towards these industry vertical clouds? And I think the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, no, and joking aside, I think they, they might need both, right? Mm. Which is why, again, why we've really focused, again, again this idea of optionality, Right. We really want to give the customer choice. And there might be good reasons why you picked a class that a cloud that's more general purpose. But if, if you're a financial institution, in fact, you may, you may have both. I mean, if you're running your email uh, or you're running something else that's really not really close to anything of your, your core systems of record, 
uh, and you feel comfortable running that in the public cloud, you may just pick you know the clearest one, maybe one that you're already using. But if you're really going to move your workload that is that is subject to regulatory constraints, then I don't think you're going to get too many you know banks or telecommunications companies or healthcare companies trying to do that. And that is why we focus ourselves again. We think of AWS and, uh, and 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 Microsoft. We think of them as partners, right? Because our clients have them, and we want to make sure that our clients make the best use of what they're running on those platforms, as well as what we provide. But what we really focus our attention is providing these industry differentiation, these industry-specific clouds that build on what IBM always does, right? So our public cloud, even before the cloud for financial services. You know, has FIPS 140-2 level four support, which is the highest level of you know FIPS is Federal Information Processing Standard. It's the highest level of of, of certification that you can get for security, right? Mm. And uh, and we've we've always had that. Why? Because you know IBM sort of we do security, right? Yeah. And so we go on this. The fact that you know we have always been real focused on the enterprise and therefore real enterprise grade. The fact that uh, security is really in our DNA. And the fact that open and openness are in our DNA, and so you get all of this across our basic cloud, but you also have all of that, then that can, the cloud for financial services then builds on top of that. And so we we'll pick areas where we have great differentiation and great specialization, and that's where we put our energy. But the expectation is that our clients will use that, and they may use something else, but for your mission critical workload, you would want it running here. The same idea for the cloud for telecommunications. I tell you, I could go on and on talking to you <laughs> about this, but our, our audience will probably go to sleep if they're not already gone to sleep. They're in Africa and all around the world. But, <laughs> so but I'd, I'd like to do something. I'm sorry, uh, but on a sort of a personal note, mm. I, I, I know that uh, diversity and inclusion is a real passion of yours, as it is mine. And we're kind of, you know, running out a little time here, but I, I understand you work a lot to elevate, you know, diversity and inclusion at IBM as a co-chair of the Black Executive Council. Can you tell us more about the work you do as part of that council? Well, thank you, Kevin, for asking that question. I think elevate overstates my role, right? So for okay. sure, let's, let's, let's get down to basics. But yes, so I was co-chair of the Black constituency in IBM. In fact, as I am um, I stepped down at the end of last year, and I've got a guy called Maurice Blackwood who runs that now, together with Kitty Cheney Reed. They are the two co-chairs of the of the community of that black constituency, and and they they're doing unbelievable work. But this work is sort of personal to me, and it's personal to me, uh, first of all, as a black man, right? Mm -hmm. That uh, you 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 face lots of steps that you got to get over. Uh, a, a lot of the time, sometimes discrimination, sometimes it's meant, sometimes it's not. And but the good the, and, and I talked to you about a joke that said you know I came to IBM 23 years ago and I thought it was never going to last and here I am, and the reason I'm still here is that the you know IBM has always had a real focus on diversity and inclusion, and and the and the reason is very simple and, and we go back we have stories going back to the 1920s you know where we had and again it's across the board whether they're disabled people whether it's hiring and promoting women whether it's a, what we call policy letter number four, where we basically issued in, in one of the states in the US, basically saying we're gonna treat all of our workers exactly the same way. By the way, it was illegal to do that in that state because it was they had a separate but equal policy, 
Uh, but we did it anyway, because that's what IBM does. So, uh, and then you can come back to recent. I mean, you'll see us filing amicus briefs in support of various numbers of, the, of, of causes, whether they're against LGBTQ, whether it's the bathroom laws, uh, and more recently, support for our Asian community who have been subject to huge abuse in the United States, uh, for which we regret, and we're all together on that. And then, of course, you had the George Floyd murder last year, or the killing yeah. last year, which uh, led to a series of, of conversations inside IBM about basically saying, you know, we've, we've, we've always done this, we've always prided ourselves on our focus on this, but could we do better? And, of course, if everybody asked that question, again, even with our track record, of course we right. could do better. So I mean, we had a, a senior executive sponsor, uh, a senior vice president who worked really hard to bring the community together. We engaged in a, a lot of conversations about what we could do, what we should do better. And, you know, there's nothing better when it comes to diversity because diversity generally is uh, is about ignorance. And mm -hmm. therefore, just having these conversations and understanding, you know, different viewpoints and the lived experiences of some of our employees was really energizing for the community. They, they felt heard. And uh, and also, I think energizing for the rest of the rest of our, our employees as well. And we kept that, you know. Uh, and I can cite a number of different things that you've done in the time. We've got a Tech for Good initiative. We've got mm -hmm. initiatives focused around how you engage more Black-owned businesses. We've got initiatives around how you uh, you help with the talent pipeline. You know, we announced a number of, uh, you know, with P Tech is which it stands for. Um, Pathways to Technology Early College right. High School. It's an initiative we started in Brooklyn first. It's now in tens of states. Uh, we've got you know tens of thousands of students in the pipeline. It's a six-year high school where we basically and us and others again ecosystem. It's really right, important. Right. Can do it alone. Uh, working with ecosystem partners to uh, help set the curriculum, provide internships for these students. Uh, we're increasing the number of internships. I think it's one thousand or two thousand. Someone's going to tell me it's two thousand <laughs> internships that we're going to do <laughs> with these this year. So, it, it, so, so diversity has always been really important, and it's not just the black community. I want to state here: we have, you know, LGBTQ. We have women right. as a constituency. We have people with disabilities. We have the, the broad range. And uh, one of my favorite pictures of this is a, a professor at uh, Stern called Kenji Yoshino, and he wrote a book called Covering, mm. and and it, it basically discusses this idea that you know we're all in one way or the other an outsider right as maybe all overstates it but most of us are right maybe you're hiding the fact that you know you got depression right. maybe you're hiding the fact that you're in the military or you were in the military maybe you're hiding the fact that you're a bit overweight or whatever it is that you are and the the way that we try to look at this is how do you help every employee to show up as they are right because nobody does their best work when you're pretending to be somebody else and so, and that's why I think IBM takes this view of, you know, roundabout looking at it. And we think it's a talent issue, right? Because if we, we are an innovation company, that's what we do for a living. That's why we're still here after more than a hundred years. Mm -hmm. As an IT company, if you're not a new company, every 10 years you're gone, right? right. So, right. so and, and how do you innovate? You innovate with people. And what really drives innovation? It, well, it's different experiences, different lived life experiences, different cultures, different backgrounds, different perspectives come together and you create magic. But of course, yeah. it's also the right thing to do. Right, the two things that I think are more important than anything is that appreciating everyone's independent worldview and then leveraging that 
as a team. The African proverb, you know, it takes a village. So you all have to work as a village to create the future. Um, Scott, I know you probably have comments on that. This is this last segment. Is, as much as I've enjoyed the whole conversation, this last segment is my favorite, and 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 it deserves hours and hours of of not just dialogue, but but action and deeds, because it's deeds, not words. That's how we're gonna bridge these 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 gaps and and uh, lift all people up. To your point, uh, Doctor Mainsa. So I love yeah. it. I I really admire your passion, both of y'all's passion here. Um, I admire the actions, and you know, as you put it, Doctor Mainsa, if gosh, if IBM can do better. Every company better be looking at itself to figure out how they can do more and more and more. And by the way, uh, we got plenty of T-shirt isms in in this last segment. Uh, Kevin, uh, a couple <laughs> of our team pointed out that Dr. Mainsa said nobody does their best work when they're trying to be somebody else. I Amen. love that too. Yeah. And then how do you innovate? Of course, you innovate with people, as Dr. Mainsa, and 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 that's where this beauty. Uh, that, that both of y'all are speaking to this beauty of differences and views and differences and experiences and journeys and how you view things. You know, um, uh, me and my brother spent some time together in Atlanta and, and um, I pointed something out as we were driving past it in downtown. I said, man, that reminds me of, of some cartoon character. And my brother looked at that and said, how in the world do you get to that from this structure? <laughs> that really, I'll, I'll never forget that because that really illustrates how, just how different brothers can look at it much yes. less the world and that's where real good ideas that change the world come from so dr main said we're gonna have to kev we're gonna have to have him back and we'll oh, dive yes. deeper into this this topic right oh yeah absolutely we're gonna have to do a, a two-hour uh, live stream <laughs> but but you know as we come to the end unfortunately how, how we have a huge audience here how could they reach out to you to learn more and and I mean, you've given such great insight and such great words. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I think LinkedIn is the best. You can reach mm -hmm. me. I am pretty active on LinkedIn and uh, I, I do respond. So, you know, please, uh, you know, message me. Just reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I really appreciate the feedback and the, and the comments uh, coming through. Really appreciate that. Oh, but I, I, I know from experience that you're very approachable. So thank you. Thank you very much. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. It's been my pleasure entirely. Yeah. Huge right. thanks, uh, Dr. Everestus Mainsa. A pleasure to have you. We look, we, we admire all that you're doing and your, and your, your action focused leadership. And we look forward to having you back here really soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.